Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Pop Culture, the podcast that puts soft drinks at the top of the menu. I'm Kat Brown, arts journalist and author of It's Not a Bloody Trend, Understanding Life as an ADHD Adult, and with me is my divine co-host, it's Helen O'Hara. Hello, how are you doing? Do you want to describe what you do, just in case people haven't had it hammered <laughs> through their head yet? Sure, I am also an author, I guess, of mostly film-related books and a film journalist, um, mostly for Empire Magazine, but not exclusively. If you're looking to hire someone, hire me! It's freelance month, folks. Yes, it's <laughs> January, when freelancers mostly just sit around going, oh God, why? Why did I make this career-based decision? Although actually, January has got off to quite a crackingly weird start. It's been very, very busy. It's been extremely busy for you, Kat. You have been doing glamorous things this week. I feel (laughs) like everyone needs to know this because your book, as you mentioned, is out February February 1st. 1st, Very soon now. Horrifyingly soon. I know. And you have been glamouring yourself up this week. You have been getting dolled up to have photo shoots taken. Tell me more. It was amazing. I was so nervous about it beforehand, not necessarily having my picture taken. I know that I do not have good photo face and that I cannot pose to save my life, but being six foot one and not a twig is essentially something that I felt not necessarily self-conscious about, but very aware of. I actually had a piece in The Times this weekend about being extremely tall, pegged to Nicole Kidman, saying that in the early years of her career, she lied about being five foot eleven because people just wouldn't audition her. Yeah. As it turned out the stylist had ordered in lovely shoes beautiful clothes it was an all-female shoot picture editor photographer makeup artist and hair and everything it was really lovely disappointing lack of soft drinks not gonna lie it was quite a short shoot me and my publicist left everybody getting on with building the actual set and went and did a coffee run very well it's a very nice flat white your your publicist my publicist outrageous i can see how power goes to people's heads very quickly and i'm actually looking very much at Harry on the traitors to remind myself that you can be a cock of the walk or having a photo shoot one minute and then potentially banished the next. Banished. Humbled. Exactly. Yes. And what's been going on with you this week, Helen? Well, this was exciting. So I am part of the Empire podcast where we talk about films every week. We also do all sorts of other podcasts as well, spoilers and, and interview specials and things like that. But we've been doing our weekly podcast now for 12 years. What? Genuinely? Genuinely. We take two weeks off a year over Christmas. So last night we celebrated Empire 600. Oh my God. Uh, Live in London, we had an audience come in. We recorded on stage at King's Place in London, which is a fantastic venue. Absolutely lovely people. We had movie stars, actual movie stars. Shut the front door. I know, come along. So we had Mia McKenna-Bruce, who made an incredible astonishing astonishing impression in how to have sex Mm. last year if people haven't seen that it's not a sex film don't be put off it's very much an examination of people coming of age and everything else it's beautiful beautiful amazing film and she is heartbreakingly good in it so we had her come along she's a delight she told me an incredible story about coca-cola um which i may tell you in a minute we also had ray winston proper london geezer been in everything absolute movie legend and we had the human delight 
that is Tom Hiddleston. Amazing. Loki, god of mischief himself, was there. We were chatting backstage about Shakespeare because I set myself a challenge a bunch of years ago to try and see all of the Shakespeare plays live, which was helpful actually because I actually saw him do Coriolanus, which was amazing. I now have a Shakespeare buddy in my head, at least. What's his Shakespeare tally? He's starred in a few of them. Has he seen all of them? (laughs) I don't know if he's seen all of them, but... When I said Henry VIII was the worst one, he nodded sagely. So he is at least aware, he's at least read them all. Love it. He knows that Henry VIII is the worst one. If you are a Shakespeare scholar out there and disagree with me, I have to respectfully say you're wrong. I hated it so much. All the rest are great. But um, but yeah, just a wonderful puppy dog of a human being. Mia also sounds like one of the goodies. And please now tell me the Coca-Cola story. She's not as young as she looks in the film. I, I just want to say that because she plays, I think, a sort of 16, 17 year old in the film. She is not in real life. She is a mother. She is a proper grown up human being. I want to make that clear because the story I'm about to tell you took place when she was younger and you may think that was yesterday. So, And she's a very petite person as well. Absolutely beautiful human being. We had a fridge there actually of drinks for guests. So we we went out and bought some extra Diet Coke and Coke Zero, which you know most people drink. There was some lovely San Pellegrino fruity waters, those arancini drink Aran- no that's not right no, arancini. arancini would be a horrendous drink that would those be the, the rice balls those would be the rice Aran- balls arancata something yes that's right I've been studying Italian and you wouldn't know it from how I, I got that wrong I technically have an Italian degree but <laughs> you wouldn't know that anyway. well she was having one of the orange drinks basically and she was saying that she doesn't she's never really drunk coke and we all expressed a bit of surprise because it's kind of unusual to never have really drunk coke mm. but it turns out that this is because she had a very vivid early memory of a certain UK celebrity, a sort of, you know, TV level celebrity in the early noughties. There was a big tabloid fuss, if you remember, because this person had done a a huge amount of cocaine and had actually lost the, I think it's the septum of the nose, had been basically eroded by this cocaine use. And young, tiny baby Mia McKenna-Bruce, yes, got it into her head that this had happened because the lady concerned had drunk too much coke. Oh, sweet baby bear. I know. And so she had just never really drunk coke as a result. And even once this misunderstanding had been explained, by that point, you know, she was sort of set in her ways and and was still a little bit freaked out and was like, but are we sure? Are we sure it was the other kind of coke and not the drink that did this to her? Why take the chance? Why take the chance indeed? (laughs) I hope Mia doesn't mind me telling that story, but I thought it was just about the cutest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. And like I say, she's an amazing actress. She's up for the BAFTA Rising Star Award this year. By the way, just another sign of how nice Tom Hiddleston was. He was giving her lots of advice on just enjoy yourself at the BAFTAs. Genuinely, it is the being nominated that counts. And you don't realise that your first time, but it really is. Absolutely lovely people. I had a wonderful time. Oh, speaking of cinema as well, I don't think we flagged this at the time, but you and I had the great delight of being on Picture House Cinema's The Love of Cinema podcast yes. this month, which is a lovely roundup of some of the month's best films. I'd managed to see two of them because I was recording my audiobook at the time, so sat wrapped as Helen told me about poor things for mm-hmm. one. And what was the other one? That I'd not the seen. holdovers? Had you seen yes, the holdovers? Yes, the holdovers, which I still haven't seen. I'm oh. absolutely gagging to now. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful film. So yeah, so we we talked about uh, those two and and the two that you had seen. Yes, Priscilla, which is yes. smashing. I didn't really notice any soft drinks in that, so I can't do a tenuous link link back <laughs> to here. And not all the small things. That is a Blink One Eight Two song. All of all of us strangers. All of us strangers. Oh my God! Which is the Andrew Scott film with Paul Mescal. Mescal, thank you so mm. much. God, ADHD brain going on. Loads of BAFTA nominations, but bewilderingly not for Andrew Scott. I know. I, I Genuinely, it's the big oversight of the BAFTAs this year for me. Andrew Scott is terrific in that film. If you're listening, Andrew, I'm sure you are, and you happen not to drink or happen to ever take a break from drinking, do come and talk to us just so we can write this wrong and give you the attention you deserve for that yes. role because it's an absolutely astonishing performance I and he absolutely could be there. I being on our podcast with makeup and not being nominated <laughs> for BAFTA. It's pretty much the same thing, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Uh, just don't look up anything about all of us strangers now that I have actually pronounced it correctly do go along and see it it is just gorgeous glorious and will make you cry buckets but not in a harrowing way Mm. which I think is quite important Today, Kat, we are drinking something called, and I have no idea how to pronounce it really, I think it's Lovo. Mm-hmm. It's spelled L-O-V-E-A-U. So I'm going with the French bit for the last, because this is a sparkling water, apparently infused with raspberry, strawberry and blueberry. It is unsweetened, it has zero calories and zero sugar. I'm hoping it's nice because I like all those words. Mm. I like water, I like 
berries. If this is tasty, I'm in seventh heaven. They have also helpfully put the pronunciation in a sweet little pink speech bubble on the back. So they have. Well done, me. Very nice. Oh, this is nice as well. We support a cause close to our hearts, making a donation to UK diabetes charities for every can sold. This is epic. So even if I don't actually like it, I still love it. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, here we go. Okay. I am actually getting berries in this. Mm. Now, because it's unsweetened and because it is very watery, it does a little bit taste like, you know, I've washed the berries and then I'm drinking the water that I washed them in. It's a hint of berry rather than a full sweet experience. I still think there's more taste to it than ugly or dash. That's true. It's still nowhere near enough flavour that I would like, but I will stick to feel good for that. But I can taste like all of those flavours and they taste like legitimate Mm. fruit as opposed to the hint of a fruit that has then passed through yeah, like like you had a smoothie mm. and then you poured a bit of water in the glass and sort of are knocking it back from the same glass. It does taste like real fruit mm. and not just, you know, the, you know, you used to get those flavoured sparkling waters that were flavoured with something very weird mm. and, and very artificial. It doesn't taste that way. It does taste like fruit, but it tastes like a hint of it rather than the full whammy. Yes, exactly that. So yeah, this is this is pretty good. You could mm. neck this and not really have any problems, but I don't think I love it. But that is, again, just because of my preferences regarding fruit-flavoured sparkling waters. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. There are a frankly ridiculous array. They are growing. I think, it, you know, it's the kind of stuff that we talk about in this podcast all the time. It's people wanting something that isn't very sugary, something they can sit and drink and sip at the same rate that people are sitting and sitting and drinking, sipping their alcohol. I think in that respect, it would probably work. You could sit with this on a train opposite your friend with the G&T in a can and it would sort of work. Not a huge taste moment. No. I haven't had any exciting drinks this week. I feel like I've failed us all as a podcast host because I've been to work, essentially, and I've gone to several screenings that haven't had any drinks available. And the one screening I went to, I went to a screening of Mean Girls, which was very fun, the new Mean Girls Mm. musical film, but that was sponsored by, I think, Malibu. So they had loads of those, which was great for the drinkers, but not so great for me personally. And nothing against it. I understand Malibu has sponsored the event, therefore they want to put their drinks in front of people. I understand that. But yeah, I was basically left with the choice of Diet Coke or water. Ah, the two staples back again. Back once again. So I will try and do better this coming week and actually try some interesting new drinks. Yes. You have, however, profiled somebody who surprisingly turns out to be quite a legendary teetotaler. I had no idea. Please tell me more. I wrote a profile in Empire magazine this month about Mae West. And Mae West was for those of you who don't know the name, was a film star of the sort of 1930s. At one point, she was the second highest paid person in the US, behind, I think, only Rockefeller. And she was a massive, massive success. And she was known for being, by the standards of the time at least, very sort of sexually suggestive. You know, she was... I don't think she ever said a single entendre in her life. (laughs) I think every single word out of her mouth was a double entendre, but she didn't drink. She said that basically alcohol cuts down on who you are why would I need to cut down on who I am, was her line about it. One of sort of history's famous, unlikely, if you like, teetotalers, because she projected so much appetite in every other aspect of her life that I think she's one of those people that people would never think was teetotal. And and you know the way people associate not drinking with abstinence. I think we've talked about this before, but I have a lot of people, old friends, maybe you haven't seen me in a few years, and let's say we go out for dinner and they go, oh, Helen, you're vegetarian, aren't you? They associate me with some kind of abstinence and they're not quite sure what. There is this perception of non-drinking being a bit, you know, possibly holy, possibly, you know, abstemious. You, <laughs> very, very holy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone like Mae West just goes to show it's not necessarily that. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that. It's not a moral thing. It's just sometimes... I don't particularly like drinking. I don't particularly like the effect it has on me. I don't mind if you do it. I'm totally fine with that. All of her films basically take place in, you know, speakeasies and nightclubs and everything else. She was very comfortable, very at home being around drinkers. She just didn't do it herself, you yeah. know? So There's what a woman. There's said for not needing help in that way. I very much went around this in the wrong way because I always associated not drinking with some kind of lack. Like, oh, you're missing out or blah, blah, blah and that sort of thing. Or, oh, but cocktails are delicious wine is delicious both of which are true true yeah but sometimes i think certain ways of using alcohol can also be illustrative of a lack Mm. 
whether it's reassurance or comfort in a situation or something. So that has really cheered me yeah. up. Wasn't she, is there a gun in your, is that a gun in your pocket or you're just pleased as seeming? She also said, when I'm good, I'm very good, but when I'm bad, I'm, I'm bad. better. <laughs> Gorgeous. That was to Cary Grant, by the way, who she cast opposite her as her love interest in one of his very early films. The woman had taste. We have been, I would not like to say bombarded because it's January and nobody's got the energy for that. But lots of people have been in touch to tell us about some new non-alcoholic bar openings, which is really exciting. Yeah. One which opened a little while ago, but still very much going to flag up, particularly for anybody around Leeds. The Functional Drinks Club has opened in Otley in North Leeds and has kombucha on tap, which sounds right up my street. Right. And then there's a new non-alcoholic bar that's just opened in Manchester. Yeah, I think that one's Love From. Gorgeous. Absolutely fantastic to see that there are many more options becoming available to people. And I think we are going to have to do some road tripping soon and see if we can get to some of these places and try some of their selections. The fact is, like we say, a few years ago, you simply wouldn't have had enough options mm. to fill a bar and certainly not enough drinkable options to fill a bar. So just the existence of these places is already really exciting. Can't wait to go and visit a few more of them. Yeah, and it's really nice seeing some of the pop-ups coming as mm. well because they may not be permanent, but it's a great way for people to be able to test the water and see what the call is there. And I think we're going to arrange to go and see lovely Laura Willoughby from Club Soda at the Club Soda Tasting Rooms pop-up in central London soon. Yeah. And that'll be amazing. That will be a little bit like going to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I'm pretty like, sure it's the same effect. Yeah, yeah. It's Bar just filled with drinks for us. How fabulous. Today's guest is an international DJing icon. She was one of the first female DJs at the Hacienda in 1992, and her career has spanned every country imaginable. Although you may not know it because she has been written out of much of the history written about club culture. In 2022, DJ Paulette was the winner of the DJ Mag Top 100 Lifetime Achievement Award, among others. And her new book, Welcome to the Club, The Life and Lessons of a Black Woman DJ, is published on January 26th by Manchester University Press. And it's both a memoir and a fantastic history of club life, music, DJing and how women, and black women especially, can be silenced by not being able to take their place in history. Paulette ditched alcohol a few years ago and now favours tea and knows echo at gigs. And in this interview, she tells us the real secret to dancing sober, which was actually quite life-changing for me. The lessons she took from clubbing at 15, finding something you like to drink rather than focusing on replacements, and how to take your deserved place in the world. Here's DJ Paulette. Well, DJ Paulette, welcome to Pop Culture Podcast. We're delighted to have you today. Thank you for inviting me. I do love talking about the mission of being sober in this environment, because when I decided to make the big break with drinking, am I going to be able to work the same as I've always been working? Because I consider myself quite an interesting and funny drinker. And I like drinking. I like alcohol. I didn't give up because I didn't like alcohol. I gave up drinking because I knew it would be better for me mm. to do that. So there's a kind of shift in perspective, really, because most people, when they give up, it's because they've been really ill or they've had a health crisis. I didn't have any of that particularly but I just knew for the things that were happening for me it would be better for me and I would feel better if I stopped but I just absolutely loved drinking so finding that place in myself where I could actually work and DJ in hospitality and events culture where it was on tap literally on tap I had free drinks all night or I had a rider of 20 50 pounds wherever it's different everywhere and people were making cocktails and trying them out and saying try this people would buy me a drink because they liked the music that I was playing to stop that am I actually going to be the same person because it's part of me linked to being a little bit drunk mm. and there's the fear that you're suddenly going to be very different, very boring, that people aren't going to connect to you on the same level because you know that you're not going to connect to them on their level. You can't connect to them on their level. As soon as you stop drinking, 
you're not a drunk anymore. You're not leery and loud. All of a sudden, everything becomes an overstimulation. Your mates become an overstimulation. It's like, whoa, why are they talking so loud and repeating themselves? And you notice the things that people do when they're drunk, but you didn't notice when you were doing it because you were doing it too. And then suddenly it becomes this affront, like, oh my God, they're just so so loud. Why do you have to be so loud? It's like, because they're drunk and you're not. The biggest mountain to climb was this change in personality, getting back into your own real skin and being in it every second of the day and then not being a remove from that person. I am always now very solidly me. Being a DJ, right? And I'm obviously not, but I'm sort of imagining you're struggling to be in sync with everyone. You're yeah. trying to keep the crowd with you. You're trying to yeah. tune in almost to an energy, a vibe in the yeah. room. So did that become harder or was it actually that's a different skill set that you find was still there? The fear is that it's going to be different, that you're not going to be able to connect to people. As I worked in it, I realized that actually I can do this without alcohol. Like it's to do with me, my intuition, me tapping into that vibe. And I can do that any day of the week. My intuition has to be really sharp. I can walk into a room and know, I call it taking the temperature so I can feel how it needs to be warmed up. So if I'm playing first, I just need to listen and feel and think for this space what needs to be done in order to bring this up I don't know if it's like that for everybody but it's like that for me in fact alcohol is a switch that can sometimes make you misunderstand that whereas I think when you're straight when you're sober you're very aware of the tiniest shifts in energy and really what's needed and I think I in fact it's not I think I know that my playing has improved massively not being drunk. So what was alcohol giving you for that very long period during your career and with other people coming up to you and everything? It does give you a connection to the people that you're working with because they're serving you and you're taking drinks of them. And it's very, in French, there's the word convivial. So it's that friendship, that friendliness, that connection, that when you say, oh, I don't drink or I just want a tea, there's never a kettle anywhere. So... (laughs) They just kind of look at you like, is she feeling all right? (laughs) And then it's like, yeah, I am feeling all right, but I just want a tea. And if there's not a tea, what soft drinks have you got? And then they say, water. (laughs) And I'm like, uh. And then they say, well, we've got Fanta, Lilt and Coke. And I'm like, I don't drink fizzy drinks. What have you got? And then it's the list of nothing, the long list of nothing. Or it's the short list of, cranberry juice and pineapple juice and that's your lot and people think that is good enough for people who are not drinking and it has been my mission really for people and saying can you get a non-alt brand please what's up with the non I don't drink non-alt beers I don't really like the taste of them but there are many non-alt brands Seedlip or Liars there are many non-alt brands and even lots of the supermarkets have their own non-alc versions of spirits and beers and stuff Mm. so it's like you don't have to go far just go to Sainsbury's and get a bottle of Nozeco it's like (laughs) job done I think I've diverted but uh, no, no, that's 100% our basic premise for this whole thing is, oh my goodness, I'm so bored of orange juice and cranberry yeah, juice. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, I remember in it was 2019 and the We Out Here festival had just launched. And it, it wasn't just We Out Here because I'd started playing a lot of festivals. And I noticed that in the daytime, you could get a cup of tea and a coffee water, no non alk beers, no non alk options. Coca-Cola, Fanta, Sprite. And then when that was done, that was done. So getting towards the end of the day, I could only drink water. It was like, why does everyone else get a choice of what they want to drink? But then when you say, I don't drink alcohol, it's like, oh, well, there you go. And I think that's one of the things that makes people not go out because they haven't got a choice. So if I don't drink, I can't sit in a pub with my maid because I've got nothing to drink. It's not interesting to me to drink Mm. water all night. It is absolutely not interesting to me to drink Fanta or Lilt all night either. 
I don't like them. Mm. 2019, I really struggled that year because I was playing a lot of festivals. And even for my rider, I asked for peppermint or chamomile tea, a bottle of Nozeco if I'm going to be there all day. Because it kind of looks to people that are looking at you like you're drinking, but you're not. I mean, sometimes I really play into the tea thing and I have a teapot and a cup and I will make people see that I'm drinking tea. Because I think it's important to send that message across that you don't actually need to be drunk in a club to enjoy the music and the vibe. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you know, what would you sort of say to people who genuinely can't imagine dancing sober? I know people who will not get off the wall until they're three drinks in. And I feel like there is a mental block for a lot of people. Yeah, there is. And I had to get into that headset because I'd lost that. I had to remember when I started going clubbing when I was 15 years old, I didn't really like the taste of alcohol. You know, I was 15, so I had a 15-year-old palate. I used to take sweets to nightclubs and hand out mint imperials and didn't think that was weird. You know, (laughs) and looking back at it, I'm thinking, yeah, it's so cute, but people must have realised straight away that I was underage because I had a bag full of licorice all sorts, a little hit of sugar every now and then was what I needed and I loved going to clubs and I loved dancing and I knew when I was 15 16 years old that I did not need alcohol to have a good time in a nightclub I had the time of my life from 15 to 18 when I started properly drinking enjoying nightclubs for the music the people the dancing the friendships that's why I went out so I had to remember what that headset was and it's like well what's the difference between then and now well I couldn't really buy it then so it wasn't natural to me to go to the bar and say oh I'll have a vodka and Mm. orange or a vodka and apple juice it's not a natural drink for a 15 16 year old to ask for so it's like well how about if I remove that from my head and thinking that I just don't order it In the beginning, working in bars, I'd be asking them to make me a mocktail. So make me that cocktail, but without the alcohol. But then I thought, but then you're just still trying to drink alcohol. So let's just ask for a fruit drink or let's just ask for a tea and see how that goes. And slowly but surely, I stopped drinking. I'm very here for your campaign to get more kettles into large dance venues. Seriously, seriously, because I'm telling you the feeling of having that cup of tea that you really want, Mm. especially in a nightclub, especially in a festival atmosphere. It cannot be matched. I don't know whether it's health and safety or what, but if every festival green room could make sure they had a kettle and the tea bag and that somebody at some point during the time that I was playing would bring me because mm. I can't actually go off stage and just I'm just making a cup of tea just like <laughs> anybody <laughs> else want one I should do that though just ask the front <laughs> row <laughs> it could be a thing I would love if every green room just had just as a matter of course, just as natural, not that you had to ask for it, just that it mm. was there. You shouldn't have to ask for it. It shouldn't have to be on my rider. It should just be there. How essential or how much do you think alcohol contributes to the feeling of a dance floor? Because I haven't investigated this yet, but that's more me being surrounded by lots of people than the concept. I've seen such a huge rise, particularly in London, of sober raving, whether that's morning, noon, night. But part of me still, even after four, four and a half years not drinking, is a bit like, oh, but how do I get that feeling to go on the dance floor as opposed to just going for it? Stop being fearful of not enjoying it. The (laughs) thing is what's in our head because the feeling is always in you. As soon as you Mm. listen to music, the feeling is actually attached to the music. It's not attached to the alcohol. Mm. Yeah, For sure, we know the effect that drugs can have on people when they're listening to music. So for sure, different drugs have different effects on a dance floor. That, That is very definite. 
But whether it makes you more or less likely to dance, I think it's the music that does mm. that. This is the chicken and egg. Is it the music that makes the difference or is it the alcohol that makes the difference? And if people can actually get into the head, it's me and the music. It's not me and the drink or it's me and the music. It's not me and the drug. And then they can separate that need for having one or two that will take the edge off. Mm. You don't need that it's a trick and it's a trick that things like alcohol and drugs play on you to make you keep drinking the key thing I remember for me as a teenager is looking around and you know all my friends drank and drink pretty much I was kind of used to that but looking around and sort of realizing well nobody's actually looking at how I dance Mm -hmm. nobody cares how I dance nobody's going to be like oh Helen can't dance because like I'm looking at you all and we're all in the same boat here we're all yeah, and a bit it, dodgy at times, you know. So, <laughs> and then just let go. And even if they did, so what? So what? We're all there for the same reason. And if we can't dance today and we can never dance in our entire lifetime, does it matter? Yeah. Just do it what doesn't... you do. You see people who are not necessarily technically, quote unquote, good dancers, but they're clearly having a ball and nothing is more beautiful. Nothing is more joyous. And it's the release. This is why I say it's more to do with what's in our head than what's in our hand. It's more to do with how we are comfortable being in a space full of people we've never met before and being so vulnerable because you do kind of put yourself in a very vulnerable space to enjoy and come out of yourself around a lot of people that you don't know. It's the vulnerability that I think scares people. I think that vulnerability became more pronounced after lockdown because we'd been away from people for a long time. So getting that confidence back to just walk onto a dance floor and just dance like nobody's watching that was hard and I understand that but I think it's a lot more to do with vulnerability and the psychology of it more than it's to do with what's in your hand and what might loosen the tongue and loosen the footwork because that's actually not true it's interesting about dance like nobody's watching because obviously now with TikTok, Instagram, camera phones everywhere, we don't really go to many places where you can't where you can't be seen yeah. or watched or potentially go yeah. viral. And I was just wondering, obviously you are the person at the front of the stage. You are commanding a room full of people. How does your confidence go with being filmed or, or being watched or all that sort of time? I don't mind being officially filmed. I don't like having phones pointed at me at all. I think it's an intrusion. I really do think it's an intrusion. It is anyway. I mean, you wouldn't just walk down the road and take pictures of just anybody. But that's what you're doing when you go into a nightclub and you're pointing a camera phone at somebody. You know, there might be somebody in your area that you don't know that isn't one of your friends. That's actually quite rude. You're kind of pushing into their world when you shouldn't be in their world. Or you should at least ask for permission. You know, you don't just shove a camera in somebody's face and expect them to like it. And depending on, you know, where I am in my set and how I'm concentrating, I don't like those kind of interruptions. And I don't like having the flash in my eyes. I've got glaucoma anyway. So that is please do not shine. It's almost like retina burning light in my eyes while you're filming the set. Yeah. I think I played quite recently in Sheffield. The club had a no phones on the dance floor policy Mm. and the difference that made. The difference that made to the way people engaged with music was massive because people really got into the music from the first minute. They were on the dance floor. Everybody was having a great time. Everybody was actually really listening to the music. Nobody was filming. And I know certain clubs are actually starting to take this on board, like Fabric in London, where they have a no phones policy. It's really important. Get rid of phones off the dance floor and you will actually realise that it's nothing to do with alcohol, why people don't dance. (laughs) (laughs) Can't hurt, absolutely. I mean, you've you've travelled around the world. You're literally 
an international DJ. You know, have you found places that were better for non-alcoholic options? Have you found places that are worse? You know, what's your impression? I think everywhere is just as bad as the other. <laughs> I think everybody's just learning. It feels very much early days for anyone packing anything interesting non-alcoholic. I don't think any one club is worse than the other. I mean, actually, that's wrong. Some are better than others at providing options for people you know, beyond the Fanta Coke, you know, there are places that have the full range and they have, you know, mixologists that can make the equivalent of an alcoholic cocktail and you would not know that the alcohol wasn't, wasn't in it, apart from the fact that you, you don't wake up with a hangover the next day. But I think in general, no one's worse than the other and I don't think it's malicious it's just we're in that learning phase where people have to figure out how many of their crowd are not drinking in order to make it viable mm. to buy in a load of non-alc stuff that they don't want to be stuck with at the end of the party that they can't return you know so I know how it works there's the financial consideration that goes into any of these places providing non-alc and like I say nobody likes to get stuck with something that nobody wants to drink <laughs> or that not enough people want to drink mm. whereas we'd be like oh this is happy valley we've got all this choice but there's not enough of us still to make that a financially viable consideration for a massive festival but you know I noticed like this year at Park Life that they made a lot more provision for people that didn't drink alcohol and so for me if they can do it so can everybody else you mentioned palate earlier and yeah. certainly this is a, a big difference between Helen and I because Helen has never drunk alcohol and ever I, in your life not really no when you were mentioning like being young and going clubbing and having the sweets and everything but I absolutely love this passage in your in your book about your weekly drinks order yeah um, wow so anybody else you'd be like oh this, you know just cheap old vodka and that sort of thing but we've got oh, no. <laughs> three bottles of Puy Fumé Viognier yeah. three bottles yeah. of Bordeaux Pic Saint yeah, yeah. Uh, number one favourite red wine from Montpellier Longadoc, and two bottles yeah. of Ruinard Champagne, Ruinard. all of which I'm pronouncing horribly. But Lina, ah, okay. there we go. I'll forgive you. <laughs> Thank you very much. France won't. But this is, no, but they won't. DJ Paulette on I behalf actually of saw on Instagram they, there was a clip of a woman saying, if you can't get this drink in France, it's because you're not pronouncing it right. And oh. she ran through the whole gamut of wines red wines white wines champagnes and it's like you pronounce it like this it's moet it's not moe it's moe yeah. it's like and she went through the whole thing and it's i was listening to it and i thought yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they're really snobby in france about how you pronounce their drink you were drinking very dry delicious like whites and champagnes and then having these really like heavy. rich moody reds which is yeah, fabulous yeah, and then yeah. as and you said French, then you're presented with Fanta what do you do yeah, what do you drink yeah yeah because in because I really like the taste so and, and obviously you know, certain wines go better with certain foods and I I was eating a lot of meat in France and really good steaks I mean I don't mm. eat anything like the amount of meat that I ate there here mm because the quality is different and you know certainly in terms of wines when I came back to the UK I wasn't I kind of started drinking less anyway because mm. the level of wine that you get in France for a certain price is almost like double or triple the price <laughs> when you come back but I really liked heavy heavy wines in France they would say custode custode mm. which is like a really it's like a well-built man so they'd say if I, <laughs> when I ordered my wines it's like oh six stud it's like yeah I know I, I like it heavy um so coming off that and finding a non-alc equivalent it was like I can't find a non-alc equivalent for 
what goes with certain meats because mm. there isn't that non-alk equivalent for well if i'm having fish then it's this and if it's mm. meat then it's this you you start to realize that you're out of the dinner party game or conversation a little bit because you're not enjoying the flavors in the same way that they are and you're not enjoying the meal the the kind of evolution of the meal you know I was watching Nigella Lawson's Amsterdam Christmas and she was like this shot and this drink and that goes with this and it's like you're actually getting really pissed <laughs> through a meal <laughs> and if you don't do that then your food actually tastes different <laughs> like the way you're eating is different and the way you enjoy it is different and is there an equivalent to a um pre-fume I don't think there is I don't think there is a non-alk equivalent to a pre-fume I don't think there is a non-alk equivalent to to a ruinal or a you know I really don't think there is. So I think we have to kind of do away with that like for like idea of mm. not drinking because you're not going to find it because in that there has to be that mix of fermentation and alcohol and you can't match the aging of a whiskey. Like I don't think you can match a 14 year old, 12 year old, you know, whatever. I don't think you can do that yet, at least with non-alk. That's a really good point though, about not looking to match because certainly whenever I used to do dry January or something, I'd be like, right, I need to feel like I'm not missing anything. And I actually also want to be drunk, but without technically having alcohol. From what you're saying about dancing, I suppose, as well, is maybe it's about less escaping into the drink and more about sort of embracing that conviviality and finding exactly. ways of getting that conviviality with people. Exactly. Without it being alcohol or drug led, rather than say I'm replacing whiskey with this or gin with that, just find a non-alt drink that you like to drink and get that. So you know what you're going to order when you go to the bar or the pub or the the club or whatever so you feel like you're in the same routine as everybody else that has that immediate go-to so someone else will say oh I'll have a whiskey and coke or I'll have a JD and whatever and you'll be like oh well I'd like to have a seed lip and if they sell seed lip can I have an apple juice and cranberry mixed together and if that was my go-to for a long time actually <laughs> and if they say no then it's like oh well what have you got then just get that drink you like rather than trying to find a replacement that isn't there and mm. that when they give you something that is kind of similar it's going to be a disappointment and then you feel like oh it's really shit not drinking actually I don't like this and it makes it harder it's just like no just find something you like to drink mm. it gets what, easier it does get easier what drink would you put into a non-alcoholic hall of fame there was a mixologist at Albert Schloss who was just absolutely fantastic, Marcel. And he could make any vegetable and fruit absolutely sing on the palate. He was wow. so good, but he didn't drink. Right. So he his understanding of what not drinking meant was like totally different to what other mixologists were doing so I mean he would present me with mocktails which were just like a work of art and anything that he made me I was always putting pictures of it on my Instagram like look what I've just got because <laughs> he'd just send these drinks up that would be a mixture of cucumber and strawberry or just make something that was so refreshing and so delicious and then put a little bit of sweetness in with a vanilla syrup or whatever he just knew how to mix the flavors around whatever the wheel of flavors was that I was using and he was just really really clever so I would rather than picking any one drink I'd say anything that he made anything Marcel makes <laughs> yeah and he doesn't do it anymore which isn't you know everybody moves on but it, he gave me a lot of really good memories of working in that place because it just made not drinking an absolute joy mm. 
and it actually spoiled me for going anywhere else because anytime I'd ask for a mocktail anywhere else, it was like Marcel's way better. I think we're all going to be very deep into your Instagram feed after this. Paul, <laughs> and just go, where are those drinks? Where is Marcel? I'm just You'll tracking down. Him. Where is You'll he working him. now? <laughs> yeah. He has a proper um, job. It's so funny. No. Come back, Marcel. Come back, Marcel. Yeah. It's like being a chef. You know, being a mixologist is like being a chef, just knowing how to marry one flavour with another. But he was somebody that knew how to do it non-alc without Mm. having to get somebody really, really pissed. It's like, no, I just want to make a really nice drink for somebody that's going to make them feel like they're drinking a really nice drink. That is basically what you have done all your career with music and arguably what you've done with Welcome to the Club, which is just a brilliant read, incredibly atmospheric, almost like a a piece of history as well as your own experience. What would you hope that your reader takes away from reading your book? I'd like people to realise that history is happening all the time to everybody and everybody's story is relevant. Silence is the most damaging thing staying silent is the most dangerous thing we can do because in one way it is accepting that people are going to forget our history or our contributions and women are terrible for doing that for stepping back and saying oh it's okay I got this award but nobody mentioned it or I did this thing you know I made this scientific discovery or I made this astronomical and it happens in every discipline where women have made the discoveries but men have taken the sunshine for it and they've kind of sat back and gone oh well maybe one day they'll put my name on that paper but they never do so that's the other message that I want to get is one don't accept that two as soon as it happens say Ahem. And say, excuse me, and don't be afraid of being that voice that says this isn't right or I want to be included because men do not have that fear. Men will put their hands up and say that was me that did that. Men will own their story and women do not own their story. And what I want people to take away, male, female, whoever, gender, race, whoever is own your story own it and tell it and if nobody wants to publish it it's 2024 now you can do it yourself put it online make a noise be loud and if you can get it published even better amen well i think that's a great note to end on how about you kat oh agreed that's fabulous I'm, I'm just going to make a ringtone of that last minute <laughs> I'm just constantly call myself for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah, but do. I mean, it, I have spent a lot of time being silent. And I think this is what's made the difference. People continually say to me, oh, I can see you're everywhere and I can hear your voice. And it's like, because I'm talking now, mm. because I spent a lot of, or more, it's because I've spent a lot of years being silent about things I shouldn't have been silent about. And that's what I want people to also realize is that the silence is dangerous. Silence kills. Silence can kill your career. What silence does in terms of even our politics, if we do not say, if we do not vote, we're stuck with that. So if you want change, you've got to start making a noise about it. And if you want to change yourself, You have to start kind of (laughs) coughing up the furballs. It has been like seven years of coughing up furballs that I've just been gathering in my stomach for years. And now it's like, ah, it's actually really nice because all that fur that I was digesting that I shouldn't have been digesting (laughs) is gone. It's the best possible palate cleanser to read. (laughs) (laughs) And wash it down with a nice tea. Thank you so much, Paulette. That was just absolutely amazing. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. It has been so lovely talking to you. A real joy. Good luck with the rest of your marathon day. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Press. What a complete delight. That was absolutely fascinating. I am so excited now to go to any event ever and see a DJ with a teapot. That is now my ambition in life. I need to see a DJ with a teapot. She's just so rock and roll. Yeah, and she also brings back that excellent point around green rooms, particularly around events. Like there's always, you know, lots of booze around, stuff to keep people up, but actually sometimes you just want something either more comforting or as she said brilliantly, just having something that you like to drink. Yeah. If you don't want to drink booze and then you don't have to spend lots of time fretting about it. I really like the Lazy Genius podcast. I'm not sure if she is ADHD, but she was recommended by somebody else who is. One of the things that she says is just being able to make a decision once. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that would just take so much stress out of it just to know that, oh, there's a kettle. I can get some tea. Marvellous. Done. Yeah. I've sort of been avoiding going to big events for a while just because I'm just not feeling super comfortable around people like fine at the theatre because everybody's quiet and sitting down technically but she's really given me some food for thought about being able to enjoy myself and to enjoy why I'm there mm-hmm. next time rather than worrying about what people are thinking because they're not going to be thinking about me well this is it I think this is the big revelation almost in life is that people are just paying you far less attention than you think you they are you know as a person who never drank going to clubs as a teenager when you are incredibly self-conscious you know, was a, a difficult thing. I loved her idea of bringing just sweets with you yes. to the car. That would I would have loved that. That would have been amazing. I do have to almost flip a mental switch when I'm in a sort of club situation or even like, I mean, nowadays we're talking more dancing at a wedding, like just saying, okay, Helen, nobody's going to look at you now. You're just going to go and dance. And telling myself, nobody's going to look at you. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter that you're not the world's best dancer. Obviously, I'm close. I'm like top 10, obviously. Um, you obviously. cut a mean rug at my wedding. It was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much. You had an amazing band who were playing TV theme tunes. This is absolutely my up my street. We would literally hit the dance floor and dance all night. And it's almost easier to do that than to sort of stop and start and come back off. If you, if you got in a club with a good DJ, obviously DJ Paulette would have been ideal. And you just stay on the floor and you stay with the beat and you just kind of yeah. go with it. It's just so much fun. Paulette's book is a really fascinating history of clubbing, club land, and it's got so many brilliant pictures in it, which I really loved. And actually, whilst I was reading it, uh, as much as I would have loved to think that my book was sort of you know, comparable in that way, I think yours, Women versus Hollywood, is an amazing comparison in terms of how women have been silenced mm. in the film industry and not sort of like, oh, shut your lip, but literally having opportunities taken away, having entire careers removed I mean, mm. I think one of the most of the many fascinating things that I learned from your book and when it was also serialized for Women's Hour on BBC oh, Radio you. 4 um, was that like women had absolutely dominated Hollywood as directors writers as well as performers before the 1920s mm. that was astonishing to me and then as soon as it became like successful and something that you know men particularly wanted to or a certain type of man wanted to be involved in all of that was removed from them. Yeah, they, they were literal, literally written out of the history books, which is obviously what DJ Paulette has found as well. So it really is, you know, it's, it's not something people are making up. This is something that actively happened. It's happening nowadays, and I think it's good that we're, we're trying to actively correct that in a lot of cases and put people back in the picture and get back to talking about things. Like I was reading a, a fascinating, I mean, thread, not even a proper article, but a thread online during the week about... Um, uh, the fact, which I was vaguely aware of, but not in the detail, that women were brewers for most of history. Yes. That was it was a woman's job to drink, uh, to make beer, and it was mostly a woman's job to drink beer because it was the weakest form of alcohol. So if we're talking, you know, just trying to get yourself drunk, it takes a lot more beer to get a man drunk than a woman drunk. So the it would have been a cottage housewives industry for a long time. Whiskey was a cottage housewives industry, and it's when money came into the equation that it became 
you know, male dominated um, because it became an industry and women weren't allowed to do industries. And and the same thing happened with film. And, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with small idealistic companies suddenly losing those ideals, maybe when they're bought up by bigger entities. And we have to hope that they will keep those ideals as they yeah. as they get bigger and go forward. But yeah, anyway, I just find DJ Paulette super inspiring in, in all of that and I thought um, what fun my god yeah. I want to go to one of her nights no completely and she also just reminds us that you know history is happening now it's not mm. something that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and we do need to be alert and aware of it uh, Terry White former editor of Empire and a brilliant writer as well flagged up that the number of women having opportunities behind the scenes in television is just going down and down and down mm. as directors as writers and so on we've also seen a fairly limited number of female directors and, and writers being nominated at the awards this season it sort of feels like such a shame that there would be like a fairly decent expansion and this also goes for people of color post mm-hmm. 2020 but sort of feels like oh we did our bit we had our couple of years where we made an effort with women and people of color and anybody who didn't look like you know dave over here and it's just a bit tiring and we don't want to do it anymore mm-hmm. so it's all about keeping up the effort for sure yeah um, a, a quick shout out actually for um girls on film podcast with which we're not involved particularly so thank goodness we finally mentioned something we don't do although i have guested on it before but that's anna smith's podcast and they have actually announced their own film awards this yes. year which are entirely for women or non-binary people in the film industry and they have got an incredible list of nominees because the talent is there mm-hmm. so don't sleep on them anyway that's a whole other podcast i feel like we're getting into the pop culture you know culture bit rather than the pop bit if you like this is true well shall we shall we pop into the mailbag and oh see yes what's, let's see what's do there? it we have a letter from steph yucca or Jucker or Jucker and Steph, I super apologise uh, for jumbling your name. Hi, Helen and Kat and team. If you have a team, Helen, we're, we're, we're a team. We're a team, but yeah. we do not have a team. God bless you for thinking we might, Steph. Indeed. Switzerland calling. Oh, we love an international oh. listener. My current favourite drink has been shared before. It's Guinness Zero from the fridge. So I thought I'd share a very short anecdote instead. When I was about a year sober and living in Edinburgh, it was 2012, so there weren't many non-alcoholic drinks options. Mm. I went to a pub for drinks with a friend one night. I wanted to get something other than tap water so they would actually make some money. So I ended up drinking three cans of iron brew, having no idea that it contained caffeine. When I got back home at midnight, I was buzzing with a sugar and caffeine high. It was pretty fun. Also, I have a question for the podcast. What is the shelf life of non-alcoholic beverages like beers, wines or spirits? And are they safe to drink past the expiration date? This is such a great podcast idea, although it took me an embarrassingly long time to get the pun. Anyway, I'm already looking forward to your Christmas episode so we can all share mulled wine recipes. Thank you. <laughs> bye. Steph. P.S. If you're ever in Switzerland, Schopfer Bleifrei is an excellent alcohol-free beer. P.P.S. ADHD gang fist bump. <laughs> fist bump right back, Steph. Amazing. ADHD crew. Hurrah. Helen, would you like to uh, explain the pun of pop culture for listeners who uh, may have just thought that we just didn't think it through. Yes, no, well, so we are obviously both culture journalists in our in our sort of day jobs. And pop, of course, is another word for soft drinks, you know, sodas and so on. Have you seen those maps, those fabulous maps, which map where in the US calls it soda and where calls it pop no. and things like that. And I think there's some similar ones for the UK. So if you're from a soda part of the country or similar, I apologise. But yes, we thought pop culture, which was cat's pun, credit where it's due, was was pretty great. Uh, and we, so we can analyse the landscape of pop culture of soft drinks in the same way we analyse the, the uh, pop culture landscape entertainment Helen what is the shelf life of non-alcoholic drinks look I am so the wrong person to ask about this and I'll tell you why I have a very casual relationship with best before dates I tend to do the look and the sniff and the, you know, poke a finger in it and see if it moves uh, test for these things. So, yes, if something looks dodgy and is past its best before date, then, of course, I'm not going to eat it all. I'm not a completely crazy person. But if it's still the right colour, if it still smells right, if there's no gunky weirdness around the container, I will often ignore the the best before day I will I will say that so what I would say is yes the the sort of shelf life of soft drinks can be shorter than alcoholic drinks certainly than you know wines and and spirits and things like that but 
it's not necessarily zero. And if it hasn't been opened, if it is in a sealed container, it will probably last a decent amount of time. There are obviously exceptions to this. Cartons of orange juice, I mean, come on, obviously. If it's fizzy, don't drink it, that's bad. Generally speaking, if it's in a can, it's going to last for quite some time. So you can probably... Like I say, be a bit wary if it's past the best before date, but don't necessarily immediately chuck it out without having a look. That would be my personal approach. I will say, however, that some of the non-alcoholic uh, spirits that I've tried in the past, so I had a, a bottle of, it would have been seed lip, I guess, mm. which I took a bit from and then I, I used up all the tonic I had in the house and I never think to buy tonic because why would I? It's a bit useless on its own. So I forgot to buy any more. And so the bottles sat there in the cupboard in much the way that I keep half bottles of rum that I've bought for making a cake in the cupboard. And it did eventually develop a, a gross skin. And I did throw that away, obviously. That did not pass the sniff or look test. So they they will not last forever in the same way that some of those half bottles of gin have absolutely lasted forever in my in my cupboard. But yeah, I, I would I would not necessarily live your life one best before day at a time. And she's a lawyer, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> oh I'm God. Going to, I'm going to take this as... As my own it. lawyer, please don't take that as gospel. <laughs> we also had a message from Max K over on Instagram, where Ooh. we are, Pop Culture Drinks Podcast. Max says, Sentier is worth checking out. Very interesting as it's a bit more science-based than a booze-free beer or something like that. I'm not that into beer tasting things, so I'm always looking out for stuff that actually tastes nice. This one's botanical and engages with your brain to get that nice, calm feeling that people chase with drink, but without feeling crap or out of control, etc. Left-handed giant are a great Bristol brewery who do a Rattler that's 0%, really nice and not beer-like at all, worth mm. checking out. I'm so glad the smaller breweries are providing options, as places like Brewdog always get mentioned in the convo. They're not someone I'd be pushing. Great podcast, by the way. I'm similar to Helen in the way that I've just not been a drinker, and it's so nice to see the world catching up with us all a bit and there being options and awareness now. I'm sick of brands like Coca-Cola being the only options. Well, Max, you'll be delighted to hear that actually on next week's podcast, we have a... I was about to say we have a drink with. No, that would be <laughs> lovely. We have an interview with Professor David Nutt, who is the science, the brains behind Sentia, and also just a total legend. If you've never heard of him before, please Google him. Please listen to his actually now fairly old episode of BBC's The Life Scientific, but he's he's just absolutely amazing. He's done so much work to find people alternatives to alcohol and to find ways of like really just not undoing, but being able to prevent uh, some of the damage that can come from extended alcohol use. And he's also great fun. Mm. Um, also, a lovely shout out for Left Handed Giant. Thank you very much. I've also got to Google what a Rattler is. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I was hoping you knew. No, I sort of feel is like... Is this a kind of beer? Is this well, like an a IPA beer, but or a thing? also that doesn't taste like beer. Yeah, that I mean, is intriguing is to me. Dream. Going into my uh, Google hole as we speak. No, that's come back with Shandy. That's absolutely no help at all. What the hell is a Rattler? Oh, here we go. A Rattler was originally two parts beer, usually a lager or another lighter type, mixed with one part lemonade or a lemon-lime soda. Oh. Oh, of course, curious brewers eventually began experimenting with other juices and sodas. And in the case of oldyalebrewing.com, from whence this information comes, <laughs> fruity teas, uh, which sounds really nice. OK, so we can add that to... Add that to the very long list of things we need to experiment yes. with. <laughs> Perfect. Love a list. That'll be very Amazing. good. Which also means we're just going to have to get... We've got a future guest who's an expert in all things beer. And that, Helen, might be the time when we get you tasting some. It's going to have to happen. I'm, I am resigned, as it were. But it's lovely to see, you know, small breweries doing so much to actually experiment and take risks and take chances. I mean, we obviously heard about it a week ago, two weeks ago from the, the gang at MASH. But also there's so many out there who are doing so much interesting stuff. We also had a couple of messages on Twitter, one from Jordan King at Jordan M.B. King, who says, current soft drink obsession is Suso. Mm. That stands for stand up, stand out, in case you were wondering. The orange and mandarin is just the sweetest, most refreshing drink in a can I think I've ever drunk. I can't get enough. One for pop culture to investigate. And actually another, a friend of mine at Dapper Dan uh, responded going, um, uh, I had these at the craft services on a film set he was on, and I can concur, they're the best. The apple and elderflower one is my personal favourite, so two different flavours to try. Hurrah! I can feel my credit card twitching, Helen. Orders are <laughs> going to have to be had. 
And then in response to last week's discussion about Brewdog, at Kieran Lee 1970 said, I was at the Brewdog pre-open night in Perth, drinking all their beer and food for free, really sticking it to the man. I mean, I'm not sure that's exactly what we, we suggested, but thank you, Kieran, I guess, for that. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this week. I can see the sun has set, the clouds are drawing in. It's time to go home and find something to watch on the television before sliding into bed. <laughs> If you've got a favourite drink you'd like to share with us or any other non-booze-related gossip, then you can email us at popculturedrinkspodcast at gmail.com and you can see what and where we've been drinking lately on Instagram at popculturedrinkspodcast. And don't forget, Pop Culture is on bookshop.org. You can read our books, our guests' books, and other books we like. While helping to support the show, just go to bookshop.org and search for Pop Culture Soft Drinks Podcast. And that's it from us this week. So thank you so much for joining us. Do let us know if you have any suggestions or comments about the show. And yeah, keep on drinking. I'll see you next time. Keep on drinking. Is that going to be our slogan? I mean, that's all I got. I'll be honest. It's it's. I was up very late last night. I didn't get to bed until this morning, Kat. What? I know. It's at least 10 hours past my normal bedtime. And non-drinking <laughs> hours. That basically means you've been up for about three days. Okay, fine. This week, our slogan will be keep on drinking. Right. Keep on drinking. <laughs> just like we're strictly basically that mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.